Lord, we agree with those prayers and do desire that you uh, work amongst us in a mighty way. We uh, know that your spirit is alive and working, and some of the things that are reported that you are doing, we praise you, and we praise you especially today that these things are possible because you did raise from the dead. So we, we praise you for that, that you have demonstrated your righteousness in many ways, one of them being your resurrections. We praise you for this this day that we remember, and may we continue to remember it every day. So we commit our time to you this morning, that you would work amongst us, and that we would uh, have minds that are focused on your word, that we would uh, have illumination of your spirit and understanding, and that we would uh, leave here more conformed to your image. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. All right, Romans. We're in chapter 3, verse 21 through 24. The key idea, because of the major independent clause there, is a display or a demonstration, or the word that the Bible uses, New American Standard translates it, manifestation, which has all of these ideas kind of in that word. Sometimes the word is translated to reveal. So that's also there. In fact, I think your New King James translates it that way. So it has that, but it has more than just a revelation. It's a different word than the one that we saw in verse 18 of chapter 1. So it's a display of justification. And in the middle of the night, I kind of, I have these visions. (laughs) Not really. Or something, I don't know, whatever it is. But anyway, (laughs) just kind of this idea that popped into my mind of illustrating not only the passage that we're in, but illustrating it, the the passage that leads into it. Kind of a movie format. If you see a poster of a movie that kind of advertises it, maybe gives the key ideas and stuff like that. So the first one, first movie, is Condemned Under Wrath. That's the title of the movie. And uh, based on what we talked about last week, then, that's what it was like before you become a Christian, before Christ came and died on the cross. So then humanity, the revelation of wrath, that's verse 18, reveals that mankind is condemned under wrath. And starring who? Who are the stars? of <laughs> Everyone, basically, Jew and Gentile. And we have uh, a rating. The rating, it's total depravity. On display, total depravity, triple X. Also, there's a warning. You are going to see terrible terror. This is what it's like to be under condemnation in wrath. And there's a spoiler alert. In other words, what is the ending? The spoiler alert is a very hopeless ending. That's how this drama, this movie ends. In contrast, the passage that we're starting to look at is, we could title it, The Righteousness of God. Optimistic. But now, this is what's showing. That's the past. That's then. This is now as a result of what God is doing. And the essence of the passage is we have a display or a manifestation or a revelation of the righteousness of God. 
And the admission, according to the passage, it's free admission. It's a gift that's right in the biblical text. And we've already seen that man's efforts are not accepted. So you can't come and obtain entrance through any efforts on your own. Now, we also have a note of the uh, cost of production is the shed blood of Christ on the cross. Infinite payment for all of man's sin. We also have the producer. He's perfectly satisfied with that sacrifice. That's the word propitiation. We'll get to that. We'll get to verse, what is it, 26, is it? So just a kind of a different way of trying to illustrate what we have. The focus is the righteousness of God. That's the focus of the whole book. Focus of the whole book. So we have a display of that righteousness. This is the chart that I gave you before. And real quickly, it's all of the parts. This is a complicated sentence, a long sentence from 21 to 26, with a lot of parts to it, a lot of ins and outs. So we have a display of righteousness. And the first little thing that it tells us that it's this display or the way that we enter into it. And that's what he's getting at. It's displayed in that you can see it in people that have received this righteousness. You can see the very righteousness of God, but it's apart from the law. In other words, observance or obedience to the law. And again, just a long sentence starting in verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested or displayed or made evident or revealed. That's the heart of everything. And all of the parts go on all the way to the end of uh, verse 26, where you have the first period. And notice the emphasis on God displaying publicly. So this is kind of the heart of this whole passage. It's a demonstration. This was to demonstrate something visibly. And then again, verse 26, for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time. So righteousness is on display when people come into a justifying relationship with the living God who is or is the standard and righteousness is his perfection. And the main element of all of this is the righteousness of God has been manifested. It's part of the independent clause. Everything else is just telling us something about that manifestation. And so that we not get lost, I want to give you the context again. It's apart from law. It's witnessed by the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. That's the end of verse 21. It's for believers. That's the emphasis of verse 22 through 23. Those that believe, the emphasis there a couple of times referring to believers. By grace, which is the antithesis of trying to do it by law or obedience. So it's by grace. And the focus is through Christ Jesus. He's the one that accomplished everything needed for this righteousness. That's also verse 24. And then uh, kind of a demonstration of this righteousness where it's publicly demonstrated, 25 and 26, where God is perfectly satisfied with what was displayed, what was demonstrated, 
2,000 years ago that we celebrate this weekend, Easter weekend, propitiation, substitute the word satisfaction. It satisfies all the legal requirements of God, all of the legal requirements that God has set forth in his word. And as a result, God is demonstrated to be righteous. New American Standard translates it just. So God is demonstrated to be just. In fact, you might even have been able to make a case against God up until the crucifixion. So all through the Old Testament, so Paul explains that. You could have said, God, how can you... How can you receive a David? How can you have fellowship with a Noah? How can you enter into relationship with Israelites? Because your justice has not been satisfied. We have these substitutes, these animals, but Hebrews tells us that does not take away sin. That does not grant righteousness. God, you may not be righteous, But this sacrifice is not only a propitiation, but Paul explains in verse 25, God was passing over sin, and but now he has dealt with it, and he can be declared just and righteous, the one who justifies. See that in the passage as well? So he is the justifier, and he can do it, justly or righteously. Got it? So Jesus accomplished all that was required. And all of this is in this passage. It's a little complicated, but hopefully this chart puts it all together for you. And again, the main thrust there is this display and demonstration of righteousness. It's demonstrated in what Christ accomplished And it's demonstrated when people are justified and they experience a transformation, the world can see it has an impact. So, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been displayed, publicized, demonstrated, made known, revealed, made evident, demonstrated. And how has it been done? It's apart from law. Uh, it's being witnessed by the law and the prophets, etc. So let's take a look at this righteousness. And I'm going to add to what we talked about last week. Some of it I'm going to go over quickly. This is a very, very important word. This is the most important word in the book of Romans. This is the main theme, the main topic, the main idea is the righteousness of God. So we need to understand it. So let's take some time. It's related to some of the other theological words as well. It's related to, in fact, the word justification is the same word. It's just the verb form. In English, we make it a separate and different word, but it's the same one. This is true in the Old Testament, and the terms in the Old Testament, sedek, all you Hebrew students, that's the equivalent of the New Testament word that I gave you last week. And so you can see it there, and there's the English transliteration. That's the idea of rightness, or in a lot of contexts it's translated righteousness. In other words, something is the way it is supposed to be, rightness, and it's a legal term. In fact, it's primarily used in a legal context outside of its theological context. 
And if you remember, I'm not aware of a single theological word in the Bible that doesn't have its origin or roots in just everyday situations. In other words, these are common words. They're not spiritual or super spiritualized words. They're just words that come out of the, the language, out of the culture. So also, it's Zedek. The background of that, this is another legal term. Many in the book of Romans we've already seen. So think in terms of a courtroom. So to be right means that you are right in accordance with a standard. And if you're talking about a courtroom scene, it's before the law. In other words, you are in a right standing in terms of the law. That's why, and I'll give you some examples, that's why believers in the Old Testament, and they're even described in the New Testament, as righteous. In most of those contexts, it's not necessarily righteous before God. It's more in a legal standing in terms of, they are in a right relationship in terms of the law of Israel. They stand in a right relationship. Cunning. Law abiding. Yes, very good. That'd be a good way of summarizing it. In other words, no one has a charge against them. And because of sin, they've offered consistently the, and they do it on a consistent basis, the sacrifices that are required. That puts them in a right relationship in terms of the nation, in terms of the culture, in terms of the law. That's its everyday secular usage. Jeremy? Okay, the secular usage. Yeah, well, yeah. Because, I mean, in, in terms of righteous, okay, as long as that's secular usage. Because, right, they... Um, Faith in God is what leads to that righteousness with Him, right? And they're doing what He has requested them or commanded them. Right. right. And and some of them would not only be in a right relationship with the law, but they would also be in a right relationship with God Himself because of faith. In trusting in the Old Testament way of pleasing and obtaining a right standing before Him. Why I mean, God has the yeah. Yes, blameless. Not before God. He's not saying he's sinless, but he is blameless in terms of his relationship to the law. Paul called himself blameless as well. Remember, he called himself blameless in terms of Judaism. All of the ceremonies of the Old Testament were foreshadowed. All of foreshadowed of Christ. Yeah. So they're basically trusting in the blood of Christ through how we revealed before God. Yes. Yeah, and those were acts of faith. In other words, this is what God has set up, and I'm obediently doing what God has set up because I trust that this satisfies God at least, and there's probably not awareness that there's going to be an ultimate sacrifice that ultimately sacrifices. Okay, so there's one of the nouns, and another noun, sedakah, sedakah, righteousness, these are corresponding to the Greek words that I gave you last time. I'll show them to you again, and we'll, we'll see a direct correspondence. The New Testament words parallel and, in fact, come out of this Hebrew-Jewish background, the Old Testament background. And then there's the verb form, which is to be just, and in a secular sense, in other words, there's no one that has accusation against you. You're free on the streets. You don't need to go to court. 
You have a just relationship in terms of the law. Now, all of these will eventually have a theological sense in terms of God, but all of them come from the culture, and there's a lot of examples in the Old Testament. Or to be righteous, in other words, in a right standing, that's righteousness, to be, that's a condition or a status, to be in a right relationship, or in the Old Testament, sometimes it's translated to justify, same word, and in English we have two words referring to the same concept. So those are the Old Testament words. Now let's, the New Testament, real quickly, we looked at these last time, there's the kind of the equivalent, dikaios, dikaiosune, righteousness, righteous, righteousness, and then the verb form, dikaiao, to declare righteous. That's a very important concept, to declare. Not necessarily to make righteous, in terms of the theological concept, but in terms of the law, you are declared and considered to be blameless, you might say, in terms of any legal standard until you can be convicted. And to justify, in other words, you may be taken to court and you're declared innocent in terms of the Mosaic law. You are justified. We use another word, acquitted. So that's the idea behind this word group. So when we talk about justification later on, we're talking about that verbal idea that we call to be justified. We'll talk some more about that. So those are the words. And there's also a specific justification word that's generally translated justification. We looked at that last time. So... This is very important. The righteousness, now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Verse 22, righteousness of God. Verse 24, being justified. That's the verbal idea in its participial form. Be justified. Same word, just the verbal idea. In other words, something made in a right standing or at least declared as a right standing. Now, there will be a future time where we will be made righteous, where there will be no sin, theologically, and that doesn't come until we are glorified, another concept in the Bible. When the sinful nature is removed, that's at resurrection. All right? So it occurs in 24, again, his righteousness in 25, and then in 26, his righteousness again at the present time so that that he would be just. God can now be declared righteous because he met all of the legal requirements of the law. That's propitiation. So now he is just. There's dikaios. Just or right, or you could even say he is righteous. He would be righteous, and the one that does the righteous work or justifier, again, that's the verbal idea or the participle. Same word, just the verbal idea in the participial form. The justifier, the one who has faith in Jesus. Does that make sense? Let's look at some examples here in the time that we have, and that's probably as far as you'll be able to go. So the Old Testament word group. Somebody look up Deuteronomy 16. Here's the courtroom example. And real quickly, who's got it? Real quick. We don't have much time left. Jacob, uh, somebody get 25.1. Ezekiel 9.15. Who's got Twenty-five one, you got it, Jeremy. Twenty-five one, Connie. Do Ezekiel nine, Psalm eleven seven. 
Okay, Terry, get that one. And somebody look up Isaiah 64. In fact, you probably have it memorized. Go ahead and get it. All right. This is that everyday usage, particularly in Israel. In other words, in the nation of Israel. Got it, Jacob? Deuteronomy 116. Then I commanded your judges at that time. Judges, courtroom scene in Israel, your judges. Hear the cases between your brethren. See the cases, legal cases in a courtroom. Sorry, Jacob. (laughs) And judge righteously between a man and his brother. Okay, the judge is to judge righteously. In other words, make judgments according to the standard, a right, correct, just decision in a law court. 25-1, you got it, Jeremy? If there is a dispute between men and they go to court. They go to court. Decide their case and they justify the righteous and condemn them. Okay, justify, same Hebrew word. The righteous, those that are in a right standing, in other words, they justify them, they, they say you're innocent, you know, get out of the court, it's done, you're declared righteous, you're declared in a right standing, and then the last part, the wicked, they're condemned. That's the courtroom sense, that, that's the everyday usage. All of that is kind of the background to this idea, and then... There's lots of references in terms of God. This is very important because this is the basis. This is the ultimate standard. The ultimate standard is perfect righteousness. Perfect righteousness. Ezra, Ezra. I have it. O Lord, the God of Israel, you are just, for we are left a remnant that has escaped as it is today. Behold, we are before you in our guilt, for none can stand before you because of the He is just, perfectly just. He's the standard. Perfection. That's why no one can meet that standard, because it's a perfect and ultimate standard. The word just there is the same word group, same Hebrew word group of righteous, or the idea of righteous. Psalm 11, 7. The Lord is righteous. He loves justice. A bright man will see his face. Okay, righteous and justice, same idea. There's an ultimate courtroom, there's an ultimate standard, and God is that standard. He is righteous. And then man, Isaiah 64, 6. For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds will be dark. All of us will be like a leaf, our iniquities like the wind. Okay, before God, now that's a theological usage there, our righteousness, in other words, we can't stand up. In fact, we don't perfectly, even in the Old Testament, observe the law. All our righteousness is like filthy rags before God, far below the standard. That's why we need something outside of ourselves. Now, there's several other passages. In fact, the Psalms are, are filled with the idea of God's righteousness. 7-9, Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, but establish the righteousness, for the righteous God tries the hearts and the mind. God is a righteous God. Psalm 72-2, May he judge your people with righteousness, judgment and righteousness, according to perfect standards here. Now, we don't want that because we don't meet the standard. Now, Genesis 6-9, we won't look it up, but 
That one refers to Noah. He's called a righteous man. That's with respect to the revelation that he had. He was meeting the standard that God laid out for him. Imperfectly, uh, not without sin, he was meeting the standard. 15.6, Abraham, that's the example that Paul will use later on in chapter 4. Or it is imputed to him righteous. In other words, it is given to him a standing of righteousness. Okay, the New Testament, we have the nouns in this work group. Again, we have parallels, we won't look these up. 3.5 in Romans speaks of the perfection of God as righteous, and this passage is one of them. We have Jesus is called righteous, Second Peter 1.1, 1, 1. and uh, we didn't have a chance last week, this is where we ended. The law, there's uh, righteousness with respect to the law, 10.5, and of man, 3.10, there is non-righteous, kind of reflecting the Isaiah 64 passage. And Galatians 2.21 is another one. Maybe that's where we'll begin next week. Close in a word of prayer. We can praise God in that he, on this occasion that we celebrate, not only accomplished that perfect sacrifice, that in the forbearance of time, God was passing over sin, but now he has dealt with it in a final and complete and totally perfect way. Christ's death satisfies the Father's righteous demands. Praise the Lord, because now we can have a complete relationship with Him. So we praise Him on this day of resurrection. He wants to close with you. Okay. Were you going to close for us, Connie? Sure. With that in mind? Thank you so much for loving Amen.